in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Raider podcast. It's your host, John Mayetta. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcast content. Uber. Uber plans to go public in 2019. That's not news, but they're talking about it again. They initially mentioned that fact some six or eight months ago, but they brought on a, a CFO, and so now they're positioning themselves for an IPO in 2019. I'm looking forward to reading their S1 filing because I believe that that Uber, I believe that their core business is less about ride share and less about how quickly can they move from driver-led cars to autonomous vehicles to provide their rideshare service. And it's more about the fact that they have this intelligent network. They have intelligence around where their users are at any point in time, given the, the Uber app. And I've talked about this on previous podcasts, and that I believe that Uber should figure out how best to, to monetize that intelligence that real-time intelligence as to where demand is, where there are clusters of people looking for rides, this type of thing. Um, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know how many data fields Uber collects about its its users in terms of demographics, ride frequency, gender, this type of thing. But I would think that there's an advertising opportunity there whereby certainly Uber could target users through its its platform through the app, particularly if, or not if, but when Uber eventually gets more autonomous cars on the road, you could retrofit those vehicles with uh, ad tech and run display ads in the vehicle that are personalized, frankly, based on who's in the vehicle. I think there's there's also an opportunity to sell that user data to third parties that obviously would have to uh, be an opt-in service where users would have to give the thumbs up to having their data shared with third-party providers, and maybe you offer discounts if you're Uber to users who volunteer to, to share their data with, with third parties. But I think that's the longer-term opportunity. So then, therefore, rideshare is important to the extent that you want to grow your network of users. So it's important to provide that analog service in order to capture the digital intelligence. But I think the real value is the intelligent network. Now I want to jump on the, the soapbox and talk about what I believe is fundamentally a, a societal problem. It's a business issue, but I think it's a function of society where there are many companies and many people who want to have their cake and eat it too. These are people, these are businesses that believe in, in one-way relationships. They don't believe in sharing risk. And I'm speaking out against it because um, it's, it's, it's got to change. It's not good for society. It's not good for, for business. It's not good for entrepreneurs. It's not good for innovation. It's not good for progress. It's not good for, for creativity. It's not good for, it doesn't promote the advancing of industry. So I'll give you an example with, with, with us. This is from this week. This is with respect to our personality analytics effort that you've heard me talk about before. And what we're doing, there are many different use cases, but the the first one that we're pursuing, because it's a personal interest of mine, is around CEOs, specifically typing CEOs per the big five personality model that's been around since I think the 1970s. And the way we type CEOs is we grab data from the public domain, such as earnings call transcripts. We feed that into uh, a personality analytics engine, which then types them. 
types the, the, the CEOs based on the language and the transcripts. In addition to typing the CEOs, we provide qualitative commentary around what a particular CEO personality type may mean in terms of a risk profile, this type of thing. So I'll give you an example because I've talked about this one publicly. So not to throw Phil Heasley at ACIW under the bus, but I'm going to. Never met Phil. I'm sure he's a, a nice guy. But he scored very low on one of our metrics, a metric that's not one of our proprietary metrics, but a metric called openness. And what it suggests is that, 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 that CEOs who are, are low in this particular category, they are lower on creativity, lower uh, scores around innovation and things like this. And ACIW plays in the fintech space, financial technology, which used to be a sleepy space back in the 70s and 80s, frankly, 90s and maybe even the first half of 2000. I know because I used to follow the space. Things have changed quite a bit uh, with companies like PayPal that came around in the late 90s and mid 90s with companies like Square that came around a few years ago, uh, digital wallets, things like this, Stripe, companies like Stripe that have that have streamlined the, the, the back end, the infrastructure on the back end. And so there's quite a bit of, of innovation and disruption that's taken place in, in financial technology. And it's not surprising that a company like ACIW has missed on this innovation because of whom's at the helm given CEO Phil Heasley's uh, personality profile. He's not an innovator. He's not going to drive a culture of innovation. And so what we're seeking to do with our personality analytics is sell it into the investment community, not to Main Street investors, but to institutional asset managers and primarily quantitative uh, hedge funds and, and just plain vanilla quant funds buried inside of mutual funds. And frankly, as you guys know, probably, uh, as you know, uh, many plain vanilla mutual funds are are actually hybrids where they have quantitative screens. And then you have portfolio managers who base their stock selection uh, out of a universe of uh, pre-screened stocks uh, as pre-screened by by various algorithms structured by, by quants. And so in a case like ACIW, what our analytics will tell you is not that, hey, ACIW is going to miss the next quarter or their risk of miss, missing a quarter within the next four to eight quarters is much higher than uh, the peer group. That's, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying in this particular case is that given who is at the helm, given who is, at, who is inside the CEO chair at ACIW, it is more likely there is a higher probability that ACIW will miss out on innovation in fintech. So there's a, a, a much greater opportunity cost of having the CEO that ACIW has in the chair, given the, the level of innovation that's taking place right now in fintech. And then you as the asset manager could figure out what may that opportunity cost mean. If you wanted to hire me for guidance, what CEO rate would tell you would be, you know, that may manifest itself in the way of uh, long-term organic revenue growth, uh, new, new product development, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the obvious areas where innovation would manifest themselves. And over time, of course, stock price, right? So this, this opportunity cost that I'm talking about within a particular use case, interestingly enough, or ironically enough, is also the issue that, that we're facing, and we're not unique at CEO Raider, but it's, it's ironically the issue that, that, that we're facing in going to market uh, with our personality analytics service, which, by the way, we literally just started to go to market weeks ago after earnings season. And we won't ramp it up until Labor Day when everybody's back. But in, in talking to the quants, who would be the natural customers for our data set, it's, sure, send us a, a trial data set of the, of the S&P 500, of the Russell 2000, 
so on and so forth. We'll take a look at it, and you know, if it's of value to our investment process, we'd like to, to license the data from you. Sounds reasonable enough, but what you have to remember is the, the work that we're doing, nobody else is doing it, to my knowledge. There may be some folks inside of various investment management firms that are looking at CEO personality as a variable in their models. But as far as a, a, a vendor, a fintech vendor, an information services vendor providing this type of service, I know of no one else. And where it's new to us, we haven't yet built some of the automation that you would expect to see in this type of service around onboarding data. You know, the data collection piece, the data cleansing, the data preparation. It's, it's manual on our part, that, that front end piece. The analytics is automated. You know, interestingly enough, you, you may think it'd be the other way around, we, that the, uh, the onboarding of data would be automated and then the analytics would be manual. It's actually the model is flipped with us where it's the, the ingestion of data, the cleansing, all of that stuff is largely manual. And then the analytics piece is, is automated. And so we spoke with a, one particular quant who will remain nameless, and told this person that our effort was roughly 1,500 man hours. And given the nature of what we're doing, it's not something I could just throw over the wall to a low-cost geography. I can't hand it off to my team in India. I can't go find a team in, in Manila to parse the voice work that I, I personally have to get involved in in like 90% of those 1,500 man hours. And so then, therefore, if, if this client was interested, they would have to pay for the trial data. Not a full price, not what we would charge them if you know, we rolled out the service in full. I think the rate I quoted them was something like, you know, 40 bucks an hour. So it was, you know, it was dirt cheap, but it was enough to kind of justify the, the upfront expense and, and, and time investment on, on our part, on my part. And the guys didn't want to pay for it, you know, which is common in Quantland. And look, there may be a, a point in time where we're throwing off so much data here internally that I'd be happy to, to, to share a trial data set for a couple weeks, a month, and do it for free because data may just be a byproduct of some of the other stuff that we're doing. And yeah, we'll be happy to give you like a static data set to, to review for a period of time. But to not be willing to pay for a, a relatively full data set, a, a, a current data set, a data set that requires a significant amount of, of, of man hours, to me, I just don't, I don't get it. Because by saying, hey, it's my way or the highway, you either give it to us for free or we don't do it. And, and these guys, again, not to mention names, but they're very friendly. They're not. It's not that the uh, back and forth was a rude exchange at the negotiation was a, you know, a rude experience. It wasn't. And I'm talking about this not just because it sort of pisses me off personally, but it pisses me off because it's a lose-lose for everybody. And when I, when, when I see something like that, I feel compelled to want to fix it. So who loses? Well, we potentially lose in the short term. You know, we're going to continue to pursue our personality analytics effort but we lose in the in the in the short term there's not going to be a, a revenue opportunity would help which would help us in turn accelerate some of what we're doing on the innovation side they're going to lose out because nobody else is doing what we're doing and this particular firm decent size but they're not going to go out and build this thing themselves they won't they won't try to build this effort themselves so now they're just not going to have this data set as a variable in their in their investment models and that may be a calculated risk or it just may be hey you know, we don't have the capital to, to experiment with data sets, which is a problem because it speaks directly to opportunity cost. Just like the opportunity cost of having Phil Heasley lead ACIW, there's an opportunity cost if you're a quant manager and you're not willing to look at all data sets that have captured your interest on some level. Because that one data set that you don't look at may be the one to contribute materially to your ability to generate alpha. 
consistently. And you're not going to know which data sets those are unless you experiment with most everything in front of you that you, that you believe is at all relevant. And so maybe what we're seeing, just speculation on my part, I don't know. I don't have enough data points. But maybe what we're going to see in asset management on the quant side, which happens to be one of the, I don't want to say hot because it's not hot, but quants have an easier time raising capital for new funds today than do uh, traditional asset managers, traditional active asset managers. And so maybe this is an instance where larger quants with high double digit, low triple digit billions of assets under management or AUM, as we call it in the industry, Maybe this is an instance where the larger quants are going to have a distinct competitive advantage over smaller quants because the larger quants will be able to afford or will have the institutional will to spend money on new data sets that may in fact benefit their investment decision-making models. They, have, they may have the capital and the will to experiment where smaller quants may not have the capital or, or the will, or they may have the will, but they don't have the capital. So this will be an interesting thing to, that's not something we would ever track, at least not now, because we have other things in our plate that actually matter. But it'll be interesting as quants make up over time a larger percentage of assets under management versus traditional asset managers. So as quants grow, their percentage of the AUM pie in the asset management industry. It'll be interesting to see if larger quants outperform small quants on a consistent basis. And if so, I would suggest that it's because of a, an ability to consistently grow the amount and the variety of data that they ingest, they being the large quants versus the, the small guys. And if you're a small guy, I would suggest you, you figure out a way to share the risk with vendors, with academics, with anybody that you feel may have a data set that could help contribute to your alpha generation process. You can't expect entrepreneurs, academics, vendors to bear all of the upfront risk. The two smartest guys, I don't know if I've ever told them this, but the two smartest guys I know, two smartest quant guys, one works for an insurance, actually both work for an insurance company. One's bounced around between insurance and technology and one has exclusively been uh, within financial services and primarily insurance. But they would both tell you that the best quantitative processes uh, are ones that combine data with human intelligence and that the best quants are those who believe a quantitative process is a creative exercise and that to, cre and that to uh, develop a superior quantitative process, regardless of the discipline or the function, you must be willing to, to innovate and experiment and try things that may not drive an immediate ROI and otherwise, in other words, lose a bit of money trial and error, invest. As Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan would say, test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. But my way or the highway, one-way street, you bear all the risk. I'm only interested if you bear all the risk and the, and the data set works, if it's only upside. You may think you're smart. If that's the model you play and you find vendors who are willing to play with you, you may think you're smart. Hey, you know, we're getting these guys to bear all the risk and we're only spending money if the, the, the thing works. But if for every vendor you find that that's willing to play your game, I can promise you there's at least another one who isn't willing to participate. And one of those vendors who is not willing to play your game may be the one-on-ones to contribute to your alpha generation process. And you're missing it, and you're not, any, you're not recognizing the opportunity cost associated with it. And if you're a quant, you know that 
opportunity cost is a cardinal sin. And you try to eliminate opportunity cost by having an exhaustive data-driven process that considers all variables. That's all for now. See you next time.